their anticipation was a little bit higher than ours. We have Christmas Day, and it's like, sweet, 364 days till I get presents again next year. <laughs> right? They've been waiting for Messiah since they left the promised land and went into captivity for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting for the king, the son of David, who was promised that would deliver them. And they've been anticipating that arrival ever since. And so during those seasons, when they would be hauled off into captivity, God would send prophets, and those prophets would have a message from God for the people in captivity. And it would usually have, it would be a message of hope or a message of calling to repentance or something along those lines. We're going to read one of Isaiah's passages this morning, and, he, and we'll talk about what it means for us as we are in our Advent season. This is Isaiah chapter 64, the first nine verses. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hands of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the, we are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember in our iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. Whew. Isaiah can preach. <laughs> right? So Isaiah is crying out, right? In this case, as a messenger, he's literally praying to God on behalf of the people of God in captivity. And in verse 1, what does he say? He says, Oh, that you would come down. Sounds like an Advent message to me. Oh, that you would show your face. Oh, that you would reveal your presence again. Now, again, because what does he do? He says, hey, you've done mighty acts for us before. See the Red Sea, right? You've delivered your people before. You've made our enemies tremble before. Oh, won't you do that again? He's crying out for the people of God. And, and this is literally the desire, even, even Advent season, throughout the year, throughout captivity, throughout hardship personally for us. We may not pray like that, but it's the cry of our hearts. It's the cry, of, if you think about it, it's the cry of every human being ever made, and that is a cry for the presence of God. 
It's hardwired into who we are. It's how we were created. It was how we were made, and that is for a relationship with God. And what we tend to do is there is something inside of us that is longing for that. And when we can't find God, we find alternatives. Power, career, faith, drugs and alcohol. We pursue, I'm not saying we should, I'm saying this is what people do. Follow me? All right? We cry out for God because it's something wired into who we are. And when we can't find him, we pursue another option. Paul would call it a false gospel. Some reason for hope. Some reason for meaning, some reason for longing, because there's something built into who we are. We were meant for relationship with the Creator. And so Isaiah says, he basically cries our cry. Oh, that you would come down and be with us. Oh, that you would dwell with us again. In fact, the way he says it is, tear open the heavens and come down, which is vivid imagery, right? God going... Here I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's triumphant in energy, too. It's like this, there's no doubt he's here now, right? Make yourself real to us. Reveal yourself to us. Fulfill the longings of our heart. Look at verse 2 and 3. He says, yeah. As when the fires kindled brushwood and the fire caused water to boil to make your name known to our adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. Guess what that's a reference to? Mount Sinai. It's a time in Israel's history when God said, I am definitely with you. I will be your God. You will be my people if you keep my commands. And the ground shook. God revealed his presence to his people on Mount Sinai. The mountains quaked. He's calling back to the last time God tore open the heavens and came down and hung out with Moses and revealed the law and explained it to him. And he's like, you've done this. You've delivered your people. You've been there. You've made yourself aware, uh, real to us. You've revealed yourself in the past. And now he is calling on God to do it again and to fulfill the promises that he's made that he would deliver his people. Make our enemies tremble. That is a prayer of deliverance. We would, maybe, we, maybe we're not worried about making enemies tremble, but maybe there's hardship in our life that we would like God to go ahead and deal with. Maybe there's loss in our life. Maybe there's grief in our life. Things that are enemies to our joy and to who we are and how we live. And our prayer is, would you please reveal your presence in this? And make that stuff go. It's a similar prayer. It's a similar idea. The people of God are enslaved by the Babylonians or whoever Isaiah is talking about. And so they're faced with all that. And he goes, reveal yourself. Tear open the heavens. Chase them. Get them. Go get them right now. Free us up. You promised you would. Do so again. So what is Isaiah anticipating? He is anticipating God revealing himself to his people again. It's been a very long time since he's revealed himself that way. That's what verse 4 says. He says, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God except for you who works for those who wait for him. No, one, no other God has actually revealed themselves with this kind of power. 
There is no other God under heaven that has ever done what you've done for your people. You're the only one who can fulfill your promise. You're the only God that's real. You're the only God who can deliver us. There is no one else, and it has been a very long time. No one has seen any other God but you. And the very end of verse 4, he says this, The one who works for those who wait for him. So he reveals something about God, right? Who does God deliver? Who does God fulfill promises for? Those that wait for him. Now, I said the outset of this that Advent is waiting season. <laughs> it's anticipation season. 21 days to Christmas gifts. Yay! It's a season of hope. It's a season of joy. It's a season of peace. That's what we talk about at Christmas season, Advent season. And we're waiting for that. So he says, God is the one who works for those who wait. Now, we are terrible at waiting. See Christmas gifts, November, I mean, Christmas decorations in department stores on November 1st or earlier. <laughs> right? Halloween can't get out of the way fast enough before Santa wrecks Walmart. You know what I mean? Like, we're terrible at waiting. We're terrible at it. Matthew, like, is it how many days is it? Same, same number as you asked me 10 minutes ago. I mean, we are terrible at waiting. Pop-Tarts, boom, instant breakfast, you know. TV, on demand, sweet. Our kids have never known what commercials are <laughs> or the ability not to skip them. They've never, they don't understand that, oh, this show only comes on Thursday night at 7 and you got to wait till the next week. They don't get that. They just pull up the next app and watch the next show. They're being taught. Even entertainment is on demand, right? Education is on demand. You can get it all online now. You don't have to wait to go to college somewhere else. Everything happens instantaneously. And all that does is teach us to be terrible at waiting. But in verse 4, who does God serve and redeem? Those who wait for him. And what is he talking about? Okay, I mean, even Isaiah is being a little impatient in this prayer, right? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and get here. <laughs> Arrive, show yourself, reveal yourself, make yourself known so that our enemies will tremble. But the rest of that prayer ought to be something like this. Not on my timetable, on yours. Right? I mean, that's what we tend to do. Hey, God, fix that. Like five minutes ago. Hey, God, fix this for me. Take care of this for me. Ten minutes ago. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not three years from now. Fix this now. And so sometimes we wonder, is God real? Sometimes we wonder, is God going to do anything? Because he's not operating on my time schedule. This is already supposed to be fixed. I'm already supposed to be the happiest, healthiest, biggest version of myself. Why hasn't he solved all my problems if I love him and follow Jesus? Isn't that how this all works? Become a Christian, problems go away. Sometimes we get taught that. Right? God has a wonderful plan for your life. Say yes to Jesus and all your worries will go away. It's like a Calgon commercial or something. Some people are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Some are not. It's like, say yes to Jesus and everything will be marvelous. Oh, if it was so. Our church would be full and overflowing if that was true. You think I could keep people out of this building if all you had to do is pray a little prayer and then all your problems would be solved? 
They'd be like, uh, I need some church. <laughs> right? What marketing? Come to church, problem solved. Pray a little prayer with Charlie. But it doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way for Isaiah, does it? He's crying out what we know, what we long for, and what we desire. He's praying for us. He's not just praying for the Israelites back then. He's praying the longing of our heart. Oh, that you would show up. Make my hardship tremble. Be with us. Help us. Anticipation of God being who and what he has promised us to be. But the reality is we're terrible at waiting. And even worse than that, look at verses 5 through 7. It's not only we're terrible at waiting. You meet with those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our, all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to hold you, to take hold of you, for you have hidden your, hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Now, what is, what is Isaiah doing? He's calling God out for a couple of things. One, we haven't been able to see you for a long time. Where are you at? Do you not see that your people are suffering? But he's also saying what I said a little while ago. When we can't find God, we replace God with something else. When we can't find God, we pursue other things. And so he says, you've not shown yourself for a long time, so we have sinned. And we know you're angry with us. We confess that none of us are worthy. The best thing we could ever do is consider it a dirty cloth. That's actually a famous passage. You've probably heard that. Our best deeds are like filthy rags. Drop this into context. We were looking for you and couldn't find you, so we sinned. It's a prayer of confession. Not only has he cried out, hey, God, come back. He's kind of explaining why. He's kind of almost like going, I get it. Why you haven't come back yet. Because we've gone and done our own thing. And you're still angry with us for sinning. None of us are worthy of you coming back. None of us, even on our best day, do anything more than filthy rags. So I don't blame you. It's a prayer of confession. We're not worthy of you coming back is kind of what he's saying. He's confessing. He's crying out. He's like, look, we get it. We are all unclean. Nobody is pursuing you. But we call out for your presence anyway. The cry of our heart is to be with God. But what being with God means is that it reminds us of our need for salvation. If you're tracking this passage, here's what's happening. Oh, that you would come down. But when we're in your presence, we know exactly how unholy we are. When we spend time with you, when we spend time in Scripture, if I think about it for a hot minute, I will realize I am not worthy of being in your presence. So the reality of God's presence is it reveals how much we need salvation. We want to be with Him. We want to be saved. We want to be in relation with God. It's how we were made. We were created for a relationship with God. But when we, He shows up in our life, <laughs> we realize, whoops, <laughs> I'm not necessarily able to get there on my own power, am I? My best days are dirty rags. 
we got a problem here. We've got an essential problem. I was made for a relationship, but the reality is when I couldn't find you on my own or on my own effort, or through my own good deeds, I went and chose a false God, another way of living. And that means I cannot get there on my own. I need hope. I need another way. I was made for a relationship with you. That hasn't worked out. You haven't come back. And when you didn't come back, we ran off and did our own thing, but we need you. And so verse 8 and 9, what does he do? He turns the page. The language changes a little bit. Listen to what he says. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Listen to this. This is another famous Isaiah passage. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember our iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. So what does he say? God, show yourself. Wait a minute. That's not necessarily a good thing. We need help here. We did not keep your commands. We know that you love and serve and take care of and deliver those who wait on you and those who keep your ways, and that's not us. So what are we to do? We know that you are still our Father. Don't stay angry at us. And then this idea that we are clay molded by God is a phrase of submission and surrender, is it not? To say that, hey God, make us to be whoever it is you want us to be is a mold me plea. Hey, I've done wrong. My best isn't good enough. So now I'm clay in your hands. Make me who I'm supposed to be. And we will all be your people. The first Sunday of Advent is the candle of hope. The reality is God longs for a relationship with you. The reality is God wants to tear down the heavens and change your life forever. Change the outcome and the destiny of your life forever. That is all true. And we should expect a God who's done that before to do so again. That shouldn't be a shocker. He came the first Christmas, the first Advent. He became one of us. Lived among us. Faced the same, same temptations that we face. The same challenges. The same hardships. Philippians 2 tells us he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that his name would be lifted above all names. He was faithful for us. If he came and did that then, then we can rightly expect him to do it again. We're, we're in the second Advent season. The first one has come and gone. Jesus arrived. And our hope is not in our best works because they're filthy rags. Our hope is in the second Advent. When Jesus returns. That's our hope. Our effort doesn't get us there. But the cry of our heart is a relationship with God. And it is God, our Father in heaven, who sent his son that we anticipate at Christmas to make all of that possible. Let's pray. Most holy God, we are waiting we are waiting for your return. Even as we look back to when you came before 
and humbled yourself and became one of us. We echo Isaiah's words this morning. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Redeem us, change us, and give us hope only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.